Hi guys, this is FJ back once again with a short episode of my podcast. So the latest from Gaza and Israel region is that uh, the Qatari envoy who was supposed to um, enter Gaza um, earlier today, he finally entered Gaza with the aid money, the the payments uh, which Hamas asked for. Um, Qataris have doubled the amount. We have to keep that this 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 little fact in mind that uh, they have agreed to the demand um, that was made by Hamas, um, and that demand was that they wanted Qataris to double the amount, which obviously Qataris have now done, and um, obviously this uh, this only happened with the approval of Israel. Um, Israeli security establishment and government must have approved this. Surely they must have approved this, um, and uh, so now Qatri envoy um, has entered Gaza with the the, the money, and um, it's not yet known, you know, uh, what exactly is the total sum of that amount, but uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty big amount. So so anyway, um, bottom line is that uh, the blackmail of Hamas is uh, continuing uh, it has once again uh, this terrorist group has once again succeeded in blackmailing not just the Qataris but also the Israelis um, and um, so let's see um, where this goes um, and um, you know some uh, some some Palestinian factions they claim that it, you know these uh, IED balloon launches have uh, really nothing to do with uh, with the Qatari aid money, but uh, that's just rhetoric. That's just rhetoric for domestic consumption. Because obviously, what are they gonna tell uh, Palestinian public that we are just doing this to blackmail Qataris and Israelis? Obviously, they are not gonna say that. So, um, so yeah. But everybody knows that this is mainly about the money. This is this is mainly about that. And uh, once Hamas gets that money, um, it will make sure that uh, these other Gazan um, jihadist groups, they stop launching um, these uh, IED balloons. Uh, because today, um, another, uh, you know, an- uh, another disaster was averted when, um, when one of these IED balloons, it landed um in a city in southern israel um and it landed um on a basketball court right there were kids playing basketball over there and obviously these were israeli jewish kids and the id balloon landed there and uh, this could have been a disaster okay if those kids would have decided to go there and you know pick up that balloon it would have exploded and uh, there could have been um, one or more deaths and there would have definitely been um, injuries right um, but uh, this disaster was obviously averted and uh, Israeli um, emergency services they reached the spot they um, dismantled the IED balloon um, so um, so you see, like I said in one of my podcasts uh, before, that these IED balloons, they really do not differentiate between a civilian target um, and a military target. They don't differentiate between, um, you know, a woman, a child or a man. Um, so, um, you know, I was seeing a lot of people uh, trying to um, trying to put forward this argument that... Uh, 
Palestinians, you know, they are only launching these IED balloons, uh, while Israel has uh, state-of-the-art, uh, um, you know, weapons systems. Um, but this argument is basically flawed, uh, because if Palestinian militant groups had the same weapons and the same technology that Israel possesses, just imagine what they would have done. When these people are launching IED balloons into Israel, knowing very well that these IED balloons do not differentiate between a civilian and a military target, knowing very well that you know a child can be harmed, I mean seriously harmed, by one of these IED balloons, they still do this, right? Uh, so just imagine that if they also had the same kind of weapons that Israel possesses, what they would have done. So yeah, that's the thing. That's the difference. That's the uh, that's the problem with uh, trying to create this moral equivalence, which is a false moral equivalence because there is none uh, between Israel and between these Gazan jihadist groups, right? Um, if Israel was carrying out a genocide of Palestinians, um, 70 plus years is a very, very long time um, to wipe out any population. Okay, um, just take a look at what happened to Bosnian Muslims. Um, Bosnian Muslims, at one point, 8,000 of them were killed within 24 hours. That is what is called a genocide. 8,000 people killed within one day, within 24 hours. That's what genocide is. Um, what Israel has been doing in the last 70 plus years, that is not genocide. That is Israel defending itself. You know, people forget that in the first three decades or four decades, it was basically Israel versus multiple Arab countries. Okay. Israel was, you know, Israel was a country which was all alone. And it was faced by multiple Arab countries backed by several Muslim countries. So, and Israel survived all of that. So, today if Israel has all this technology and all these weapons, it, it has those weapons and it still you know, is in possession of those weapons because it uses them responsibly. If Israel wanted to carry out a genocide, it would have succeeded in wiping out, you know, complete population of Palestinians within the first 10 years of war after 1948, right? But Israel did not obviously do that. And even today, the growth of Palestinians is a lot more than the growth of Israeli Jews, okay? The, the figures, they, they speak for themselves, okay? Uh, you can go up and, you know, you can just like Google and see what are the figures. So, um, so yeah, of course, there is no genocide and there is no moral equivalence. Um, and Israel is a very responsible country precisely because it is a democracy. On the other hand, if you look at um, uh, if you look at Palestinians, whether you look at uh, Hamas, which is in uh, rule in Gaza, or you look at the Palestinian Authority, which um, which is uh, ruling the other uh, uh, Palestinian territories. Um, I mean, there has not been a single election um, in Palestinian Authority uh, control area um, in the last 15 years or so. 
right? And we all know that there is no way of removing um, Hamas democratically in Gaza. I mean, Hamas will stay in Gaza unless it is um, militarily removed from power. Um, otherwise, there is simply no way that Palestinians will ever be able to remove Hamas from um, from ruling Gaza on their own. So uh, the point is that uh, you know there is no moral equivalence, and it is completely absurd to say that um, just because Israel has invested in its uh, future. Um, and you know just because Israelis have invested uh, you know in building themselves up as a nation um, just because they are better uh, equipped today to defend themselves as opposed to um, 70 years ago um, just because of all of that um, I don't personally blame Israel okay um, if anything uh, Palestinians should have done the same they got the same opportunities they rejected their state in 1948 they chose war uh, over peace and even today they choose war over peace so i mean palestinians got the very same opportunities that israelis got except the difference is that israelis decided to build themselves up while palestinians decided to try to destroy israel right so you have this one side which is focused on building itself up and you know building itself up as a nation building up the lives of its people and you know trying to provide a better way of life to its people on the other hand you have this side which is bent on destroying this first side which is trying to provide a better life to its people so i mean it does not take a genius to understand that what went wrong with the palestinians um, and even today we see these attitudes uh, you know amongst palestinians and it's just very sad to see that to be honest for somebody uh, who is not an Israeli and who is not a Palestinian, who even does not belong to that region, um, I am a complete outsider. Um, to me, when I look at Israelis, when I look at Palestinians, um, I mean, I have a lot of clarity. I don't know what to tell you guys, but I have a lot of clarity uh, when I see these both sides. And so when I, when I stand um, against terrorism, I stand against terrorism of all kinds, um, whether it is Palestinian terrorism against Israelis, um, whether it is um, Israeli settler um, terrorism against uh, Palestinians. I stand against all of that. Um, but unfortunately, um, I am yet to see um, this, uh, this, um, this view uh, becoming mainstream in um, Palestinian society um, that uh, terrorism against Israeli civilians is wrong. Remember guys, um, if you read a Palestinian textbook, which is, uh, you know, any textbook which is taught to Palestinian kids um, in Gaza, um, uh, you know, uh, you will see um, you will, and, and even even in uh, you know even in the West Bank, um, you know if you pick up some of these textbooks and you you take a look at them, um, they don't use the word Zionists for Israelis. They use the word Jews. They they, they basically call them Al Yahud, right? They 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 refer to Israelis as Al Yahud or Yahudis or Jews basically. They don't use the word Zionists. So clearly, um, 
this is this is very clear cut anti-Semitism, and yet um, not many people are willing uh, to talk about it even today because uh, you know people people treat Palestinians as uh, uh, you know as people uh, you know who can just abandon any kind of responsibility. I mean, people treat them as as people who 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 are not expected. I mean, Palestinians are not expected you know to to uh, to take responsibility for their actions for their words right and i think that's just wrong because this this attitude has has corrupted palestinians um not just palestinian leadership but also palestinians as a nation as a people um it has corrupted them um to a great extent and you know when palestinians migrate to western countries um they actually go through a very difficult time uh, trying to adjust um, in their in their new countries, you know, um, in the West. Um, and uh, one of the main reasons behind that is because, you know, while living, uh, you know, in the Palestinian society, they are so they become so prone to anti-Semitism. It, it becomes so normal to them. That when they, you know, migrate to to Western countries, and um, you know, they they share their views with with some of their friends or neighbors or whatever, um, they are they are basically shunned, you know, they are rejected, they are condemned, and so so they basically, you know, they they go through a very hard time trying to. Um, understand that you know um, just because uh, anti-Semitism is uh, you know is is uh, accepted um, uh, in the Palestinian society does not mean um, that it will also be accepted um, in the West. And uh, so um, you know I've seen uh, cases where um, uh, Palestinians who were trying to um, uh, you know find a new life. In, in some of these Western countries, um, they some of them obviously they they completely uh, abandoned uh, anti-Semitism and they 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 did very well, um, you know, uh, adjusting in their new country. Uh, but uh, some people, some of these Palestinians, um, their hatred uh, for the other only increased because when they were condemned when they were shunned uh, by their employer uh, by their friends by their neighbors uh, for their anti-semitism for their hatred of jews they didn't abandon that they instead started hating all of those new people as well because they started seeing them as uh, sympathetic or friends of jews basically right and so I mean, it's a mess. Okay, it's a mess, um, uh, and psychologically, you may never be able to, you know, even get out of that that particular spot. Um, but if you are able to, then I guess you are one of the lucky ones. Um, but but many people actually, um, you know, find it very hard to uh, just abandon, you know, all that uh, decades of uh, learning, um, you know, that they did. Uh, it's really, really hard to unlearn that process, um, and it's, it, you know one of the hardest things ever is to unlearn your childhood. If you have spent your childhood, um, let's say, in a cult, right, um, 
and when I say childhood, I mean um, the first 10 to 15 years of your life, right? If you have spent your childhood, let's say in a cult, let's let's call it ISIS, right? These ISIS kids, uh, which are referred to as cubs. Uh, so these ISIS kids or cubs, um, you know, the first 10 to 15 years of their lives that they spend, um, you know, uh, that they've spent in ISIS, um, it's going to be, it's going to be hell of, a, you know, hell of an unlearning process. Um, if, if you, uh, you know, start de-radicalizing them, right? Um, and uh, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be facing a lot of psychological uh, trauma. It's just not going to be an easy thing. It's just going to be a very hard thing. And um, some people simply lose control, um, you know, because they are not able to unlearn, right? Um, some people just lose control and they quit and they just go back to being, you know, who they were. Um, but some people, they are also successful and uh, they successfully unlearn um, all the hatred um, you know from their childhood from their early years and uh, they go on to be very successful people you know so anyway um, basically the point is that um, since anti-semitism is so normalized in the Palestinian society um, even even now uh, you know uh, I mean, there are so, so many extremist opinions in the Palestinian society. Um, there's a whole list of, you know, extremist opinions. And, um, you know, one of the reasons Hamas is able to successfully rule Gaza um, is that uh, it does not have any ideological clash with Palestinians. Um, even when we saw some of these protests, you know, going on against Hamas, those protests were not against... Uh, uh, the ideology of Hamas, right? That was basically related to the economic um, situation in Gaza. So, um, and and some of the brutalities of Hamas, which is of course um, you know something that we should talk about more because Hamas is a very brutal uh, terrorist organization. It not just targets Israeli civilians, but it also targets Palestinian civilians in Gaza, and it uh, it delivers some really harsh punishments to Palestinians. Uh, but still, um, overall, uh, you know, Hamas and its ideology is perfectly in line with uh, what's normalized in the Palestinian society. And uh, most Palestinians, not just in Gaza, but also in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, they don't see much wrong with Hamas, you know. They don't see much wrong uh, ideologically with Hamas. So, so that's, you know... I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they might have tactical or even strategic uh, differences with Hamas, but not the ideological uh, ones. I wouldn't say that they have many ideological differences with Hamas. Um, of course, there are exceptions here and there. Uh, you know, there are always exceptions. But overall, you know, talking generally, um, most Palestinians overall do not have much ideological differences with Hamas. That's one thing that we should keep in mind. So anyway, guys, uh, this is what's going on in that particular region. And um, Iran recently said that, um, you know, that explosion that took place in one of its uh, nuclear facilities in Natanz. Um, Iran said that um, 
it was an act of sabotage and uh, it was carried out by infiltrators and uh, so Iran said that if it finds any evidence that Israel was behind it then it will obviously retaliate against uh, Israel um, and um, so I'm just waiting for, you know I'm just waiting for Iran to basically announce um, that who was responsible for it because if we remember correctly there was a group a rather unknown group uh, which claimed responsibility for this um, uh, incident uh, it was calling itself an Iranian dissident group and um, so that group claimed responsibility so now Iran is saying that it was a, it was an act of sabotage and you know there were infiltrators involved um, I am actually keenly waiting on them to um, say something more or give uh, you know some evidence at least uh, for Israel's involvement right and if Israel was involved then how exactly was it involved did Israelis hire Iranians some Iran some some uh, dissident Iranians to uh, carry out that attack or what exactly happened that's that's something I am I'm very much interested in knowing from the Iranians. I know, I might know what happened, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really want to hear this from the Iranians and I want to see what they are saying about it. Anyway, so uh, the thing is that the, you know, the Cold War that we are seeing in the Muslim world um, and obviously this Cold War is just nothing new. This has been going on for decades now. Um, but there are some new players in this Cold War. Um, and this Cold War is obviously about the leadership of um, the Muslim world. So, um, so the new players that we are seeing today um, are basically uh, Turkey. Uh, the other one you can call Qatar. Uh, Another one is uh, Malaysia, although Malaysia is, uh, nobody takes Malaysia seriously when it comes to this Cold War, by the way, um, except maybe Pakistanis, some delusional Pakistanis. Uh, yeah, so yeah, um, you can discount Malaysia pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, other than Malaysia, there is Turkey, there is Qatar, um, and obviously then there are the old players, Saudi Arabia, um, uh, there's... Um, Iran, obviously, and uh, now you can also count UAE in this uh, in this uh, Cold War. Um, UAE is obviously still supportive of Saudi Arabia when it comes to having a leadership role in the Muslim world, but we also have to keep in mind that UAE itself is now. Um, uh, you know, it, it is now playing in the big leagues, okay? Um, it is playing with the big boys, okay? <laughs> so, um, since it's playing with the big boys of the neighborhood, um, I think it's fair to say that um, UAE should be included in this uh, race for the leadership of uh, Muslim world. Now, um, you know, UAE, Saudi Arabia, um, Bahrain, and their allies... Uh, they have somewhat different um, vision for Middle East. Um, when you take a look at Qatar, Turkey, Iran, they seem to have a very different vision for Middle East. 
and so these two different visions that we are you know seeing uh, from these two different blocks i don't know if it's even accurate to call uh, this other uh, you know the side of turkey and qatar you know uh, a block i mean but but sure um you know let's let's call them a block so these two blocks um and uh, you know th there's there's a huge clash between the two visions um um and uh, the vision that um saudis and emiratis and you know their block has for the middle east is uh, that of um peace and coexistence with israel number one number two they want uh, middle east to um to be uh, economically prosperous that's number two three um they want to, to diversify their own economies right um and uh, their economies is you know um, so far they you know uh, they these countries they've been dependent on on natural uh, resources right whether it's oil whether it's gas um but uh, now they want to diversify their economies and um uh, they want to uh, they basically want to adjust with the new world right because they know that you know they 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 need to diversify i mean there's literally no other option left now so i mean that's 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 one vision the other vision and obviously uh, just let me add one more thing to that um the these uh, emiratis and saudis and you know their block they also want to see a middle east um which will um be a relatively secular middle east um there might not be many democracies around right um but it will be a secular middle east it will be a middle east uh, with uh, with stability with uh, with with law and order right now on the other hand um there's turkey there's there's qatar um there's iran um and uh, so so this this other block they one stark difference that they have with uh, with you know with the emirati and saudi block is that uh they want to give voice to the people right and when i say people i mean islamists okay um there's a problem that we have to admit that you know in some of these muslim majority countries when they are given the chance to have democracy they go on to elect some of the most anti democratic groups right um and that's a problem that's a problem look if you ask me i would rather have a secular dictatorship than an islamist democracy because islamists themselves they are anti democracy okay so even if you elect islamists in a democracy just know that that democracy will not survive for very long because islamists from the day of their election will do everything they can to basically kill or poison that democracy okay so you know as far as i am concerned um I would always go for a secular dictatorship or an Islamist democracy, right? Um so but these countries, you know, Qatar, Turkey, 
they want to support Islamists. They want to support Islamist causes. And uh, they think that democracy is, you know, very good as long as Islamists are in power, you know. So, I mean, that's a very stark difference between their vision for Middle East and between the vision that is uh, um, held by their rival blog, uh, the Emirati and Saudi blog. So, so I think that's, um, you know, that's something um, that is... Um, that, that should be debated. I think it should be debated. Um, there, there could be a lot of, uh, you know, uh, good arguments um, in support and against um, both of these blocks, I would say. So, uh, so yeah, there, there needs to be, you know, um, rigorous debate over this. Of, of course, there's uh, this, this one more thing that um, you know the the Qatari and the the Turkish blog. Um, they also do not want to really coexist with Israel. Um, as in, sure, they will have backdoor relations with Israel, but they do not want to normalize relations with Israel. And they always, you know, they they, they always want to um, continue that enmity uh, towards Israel, um, and uh, they want to exploit. Um, this this hatred that exists uh, for Jews and for Israelis in the Muslim world uh, for their own gains, right? So, for example, if you look at Turkey, um, Turkey is trying to uh, gain the uh, you know attention of uh, global Islamists, you know, um, through its um, or, you know a variety of its uh, decisions, policies, or statements. Um, through all of that, it is trying to gain the attention of global Islamists. And I think that to a great extent, it has succeeded in getting that attention. Um, and um, ask any Islamist today uh, that which country or which government um, in the whole Muslim world do you see um, as, uh, you know, uh, as favorable to uh, to Muslims or Islam, right? Um, or just ask an Islamist that which government in the whole Muslim world do you actually like, right? Um, and remember, these are Islamists. They, they really don't think very highly of democracy. In fact, most Islamists outright reject democracy. Um, so they don't think very highly of any government. But if you really ask them that question, and if they do answer honestly, um, you're just going to hear one or two names. Um, you will hear, um, number one, if, if that Islamist is a Sunni Islamist, you will hear um, the, the, the Turkish government of Mr. Erdogan. Um, and if it's a Shia Islamist, you will obviously hear the name of uh, the Iranian regime. So um, that's the thing. I mean, that's how quickly... Um, everything has changed in the Islamist world. Um, just 15 years ago, or even 12 years ago, Islamists were looking up to Saudi Arabia. Remember? Um, and uh, but that has that that time period is now over uh, because Saudis have uh, taken the right path after a very long time. Um, they have uh, corrected their past uh, mistakes. Um, they have. Um, 
they have chosen a new uh, a new pathway for themselves um, and they have abandoned their support for jihadists and islamist groups around the world um, so that's a very good thing that has happened but you know as a reaction to that uh, turkey jumped into the game and turkey started supporting all these islamist groups right in in different ways um, and so now it is turkey which is uh, being seen uh, as the um, sort of the head of the serpent you know uh, turkey at least the turkish government um, is being seen as the head of the serpent the the islamist serpent and um, so yeah i mean uh, you know turkey will be facing a lot of opposition um, not just from arab countries but obviously from its own um, fellow nato countries um, there was a statement uh, put out by us state department a uh, few hours ago um, and that statement criticized the turkish government it slammed turkish government for hosting um, hamas uh, terrorist leaders um, and um, at least in one case, Turkey has given us, you know, citizenship, Turkish citizenship to one of these uh, um, terrorist leaders of Hamas. So um, it was very good to see uh, U.S. State Department condemning Turkey over that. And I think um, uh, this is this is also a very um, uh, good um, policy change, policy shift. Um, you know in America and um, I think this trend will continue if, if Turkey continues with its uh, with its uh, you know uh, very damaging policies um, for the region um, US opposition uh, towards Turkey and its uh, regional policy its uh, short-term and long-term goals will also increase okay and um, I don't think that Turkey will be able to survive that because let's remember guys Turkey has only one thing in its corner um, only one thing that has saved Turkey um, so far um, and that one thing is being a NATO country right so if Turkey does anything that uh, basically you know ends uh, Turkey's membership with NATO which is, by the way, something that is expected in the near future. Then Turkey is done. It's it's as good as done. Okay, and um, so I think Mr. Erdogan himself also realizes that that um, Turkey will not be able to, uh, you know, implement um, its its uh, policy slash vision. Uh, for the region uh, completely uh, until it is still a member a member of, of, of uh, NATO right uh, because Turkey knows that uh, being a member of NATO uh, means that there will always be certain conditions um, that it has to comply with and um, so it won't be 100% um, you know independent as long as it is a member of nato so um, i do think that in the future uh, turkey will itself probably want to be kicked out of nato and which you know this is also one of the reasons why turkey does not seem to care a lot about its um, nato membership because um, 
you know there's there's this uh, this whole argument that that is often made by nationalist uh, turks that um turkey needs to make sure that it uh, ends its nato membership um so that uh, it could be completely 100% independent uh, but again um it will also be um not very good for turkey because the nato membership provides turkey with a cover which nothing else would so um if turkey's nato membership is uh, let's say cancelled in the near future um sure i mean initially turkey might be independent 100% independent as you know nationalist turks like to say but um in the long term turkey will face a lot of problems because of that so it's going to be a double edged sword um and uh, but let's see right now obviously turkey is a member of nato and that's why it seems to get away with pretty much everything it does you know turkey uh, has gotten away with uh, things that literally no other country would ever be able to get away with um and uh, yeah so anyway guys um this is this is the current situation turkey has opened a lot of fronts basically with 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 a lot of countries and um ardugan thinks that it was wise to do that a lot of people in turkey don't seem to agree with him and um most recently turkish foreign minister threatened greece once again um it's always a bad idea to you know threaten another country um and that kind of attitude just basically raises a lot of red flags about you and um turkey has been raising a lot of red flags basically so it's getting a lot of attention too and the opposition towards turkish uh, government uh, of mr erdogan will only increase um, like i said not just uh, by the arabs but also um, by several several western countries so let's see how turkish government of mr erdogan is uh, planning to tackle all that heat that he has invited um, but uh, we will see we will see where that uh, that that whole thing goes uh, for now uh, we are going to be closely watching gaza um in the israel region and uh, we are going to be seeing uh, what happens after you know qatri and oi um exits gaza after holding meetings with hamas delegation and uh, we'll see if uh, the launches of id balloons um they're um they if 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 they end or not and if they do and then at what uh, conditions uh, you know because um, right now we don't even know um, how much is the sum of that money that is being delivered to hamas um, of course we will find out in the next few hours um, but uh, the point is that right now we are waiting for more details from that region so anyway guys this was it for today um, i'll be back very soon take care bye bye